welcome back to Season 4 of Sequelizers. This is the show all about fixing the bad sequels to good movies. As always, I am your host, Jack Chambers, and I'm joined by my three sequelizing compatriots. Mr. Matthew Stogden. Hello, Die Hard reference. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the king of subtlety, Matthew yeah. Stogden. Tim Matum, please, please have something more interesting than that. You're a very observant guy, Argyle. That'll do. That, yeah, thank you, yeah, Tim, for good. putting in the effort oh, of actually oh, sorry, fuck you. doing your fucking job. <laughs> Alright, I'll Google one. Hang on. <laughs> Talk to Alec. I'll come back to you yeah. on the naughty step, Mr. Stogden. <laughs> in the meantime, Alec Plowman, how are you? Welcome to the party, pal. Yippee ki yay, Mother Hubbard. Oh. And such. And such. There are so there many. Go. So many. And Appreciate you, you did guys didn't do any of them, so I had to do the You obvious. did the T V <laughs> edit of Mother Hubbard though. I did, well, yeah. Really, yeah. Kids might be listening and you know, we should be nice. They're terrible parents and yes. Yeah. Speaking of terrible parents, Matt, have you got one? Yeah. <clears throat> you ask for miracles, Theo, I give you the secret. I <laughs> oh, see. That would have been great at the beginning, <laughs> where it was supposed Maybe to be. Maybe there'll be some editing fairy who'll help me out there. Some sort of an- angelic figure who won't fuck me in this. Editing. No, he clearly <laughs> will. He's clearly gonna leave in your neptunes. You. There we go. For all the world to hear. But you know what? Sometimes people don't deserve. My goodness. You know what? Sometimes it's a good day to die hard. No. 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 Because that's the film people want us to fix. <laughs> so we yeah. said. No, we're not fixing the fifth one. We're fixing the first one. The first one. <laughs> nobody likes Die Hard, right, More guys? crocodiles. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved. So I'll clue you in. We're not fixing five. We're not fixing one. We're not even not fixing two. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're not fixing. Technically, uh, we'll come back to that. We're not fixing two or three. We're fixing Die Hard 4.0, aka Live Free or Die Hard. They should have called it Die Hardest. I'm really <laughs> disappointed that they did it. Die Hardest. Oh. So yeah, we're fixing Die Hard 4, <laughs> which is potentially controversial because yes. a lot of people think either 2 or 3 needs fixing or 5 needs fixing. Mm. And 4 is incredibly popular. I don't understand why. I agree with you, Tim. It's a bad film. We're we're doing our sequelizing thing and picking what we think is the one that needs fixing because fuck consensus. Here's the thing. I reviewed it back in 2007. Oh. I I forget how old you are. What did Matt Stockton, what did you give it? No, I'm kidding. Out of 10. (laughs) No, no, I gave it a um, a 3.5 out of 5. Which I still say by it, it's fine. I think it was held back by not being alright. It wasn't necessarily a problem. I still thought the action was completely unbelievable, but exciting for what it was. Uh, at that time, Bruce Willis hadn't gone completely ridiculous into not giving a shit. So it was like, yeah, it's serviceable. It's fine. This is where it starts, I think. But this is the point. In the in the eye of the storm, it was sort of hard to see. Is what I'm saying. The, <laughs> the thing I always say about the Die Hard sequels is, Die Hard Two is a decent Die Hard film in that it follows a lot of the kind of tropes that the first one establishes and that then got copied throughout the movie industry. Um, But it's not a very good film. Mm. Die Hard with a Vengeance is a good film, but it's not necessarily a Die Hard film. This one is neither good nor a Die Hard film. Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) And I'm actually one of those people who's of the opinion that... So I think Die Hard 4 is certainly 
where the sequels start to get bad, but I don't especially like two or three. I think I think Die Hard, the original, is such a high benchmark mm, for action yes. cinema and such a well-written film. That Die Hard script is so tight. Yeah, I agree. And I think that I think there are inherent problems with making a sequel to Die Hard, as we'll mm. come on to in a minute, because of the nature of what Die Hard is mm. and the kind of character that John McClane is and the kind of film that it was reacting to. Mm-hmm. So the idea of the... John McClane is kind of the opposite to your archetypal 80s action hero. So if 80s action cinema is dominated by your Stallones and your Van Dams and your Schwarzeneggers, I mean, mostly Schwarzenegger, but yes, you're larger yes. than life. You're Lundgrens. Kind of, yeah, yeah, but shredded you're all shredded, all muscle, like basically superhero on screen, mm-hmm. you know, who can perform these extraordinary feats and come out of these situations without a scratch on them. Mm. Um, With unlimited ammunition. Yeah. And the idea of John McClane then being the sort of the opposite to that. He's the, you know, he's the flawed every man who finds himself in this extraordinary situation and is able to deal with it because they underestimate him you know and he's not smart but he is smarter than they think he is he's got street smarts therefore he <laughs> is able to basically fudge his way through the entire movie mm. and get out at the end so the problem that you have is for every subsequent die hard film mm. you're putting him back in an impossible situation and, you know, in the second film, he's like, why does the same shit happen to the same guy twice? It's like there's that acknowledgement that mm. this is And then is a third ridiculous. time, and then, and then a fourth a third time, time, and then, and a, then a fifth time. time. And by uh, the time you get to time number three or four, it's like, well, John McClane has become the action hero that he was written yes. as a response to. It, everything that is unique about him is, is gone. So even though I think Die Hards 2 and 3 have their moments, and I think 4 doesn't really have any moments, but 2 or 3 have their moments, I think the problem with them is that they have lost what I think is at the core of what makes the original Die Hard such an amazing film. Yeah, like, di- di- the first Die Hard is flawless. Like, I, it's so well written, it's so well directed, everyone in it is acting their socks off. Like, you have this amazing iconic hero, an iconic villain, great action set pieces. And I think anything after that is naturally going to be kind of a step down. By uh, by the nature of these films especially, and the fact that it is that kind of Im- impossible situation that he is trapped in completely by accident, yeah. it's gonna there's going to be a little bit of law of diminishing returns. Um, two just about gets away with it by a little bit like hanging the lampshade on it and stretching the laws of probability that John McClane would just happen to be there again. Three, they kind of sidestep that by making it personal and he gets brought in because he has a connection to it. And then four and five don't seem to particularly bother with that. I don't give a shit. Um, it's cyber terrorists. Yeah. Like, why Why is John McClane involved? Because he's the cop that doesn't deal with technology. <laughs> um, sure. He's the, he's the cop that will not stop. <laughs> And the other problem is is that basically Die Hard was a victim of its own success because, like we say, it, the original John McClane is a reaction to the 80s action hero. And the problem is Die Hard does such a good job that everybody's then like, what a great idea. We're going to copy that. 
Mm. And the the classic elevator pitch for like every action film after that was Die Hard in a blank, Die yes. Hard on a boat, Die Hard in a fucking mm. submarine, whatever. Like you know, I like yeah. that you went a bit uh, Boston there. Die, die Hard, hard. <laughs> Die Hard, Die Hard in Boston, <laughs> uh, Die Hard in Harvard Park. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so but so by the nineties, the action like John McClane can't be a reaction anymore to the action heroes because they're all essentially him. Yeah, um, and to put it into perspective, you've got one comes out in '88, two comes out in 1990, then three in '95, and then there's a massive 12 year gap mm. until number four. So it's a real, like you said, Tim, the the scene really changes throughout the the progress mm. of the first four films. Well, well, and one of the things, of course, with two and three is that neither of them was written as a Die Hard sequel. Mm. They were written as films that could be the next Die Hard, and then they just turned around and went, "Well, we've got." John McClane, we we're Fox, so mm. why don't we just make it Die Hard? Which is weird because Die Hard One was a sequel to Commando, as well as a book. As weird as it sounds, so obviously Die Hard's a book, and the the film and TV thing of uh, sorry, the film and TV, the film and the actual book source material are very very different. Mm. But initially, um, it was the whole thing was pitched as a sequel to Commando, shoehorning. Schwarzenegger in and say, well, we'll just take bits of this and make it work. And then, oh, no, hang on, because of the rights, we have to offer it to Frank Sinatra first and all this other nonsense. <laughs> and then finally it becomes what it is can now. Can you imagine Frank Sinatra as <laughs> John McLean? <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, I d- can. Not a good way, but No, I can. no, not in but a good way. But 1980s Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. He was, How old was Sinatra was in 88? far too like, old yeah. at that point. He was pushing death at that point. <laughs> How old is he? Pushing I, death. He, that's awesome. Sinatra dies in the late nineties, doesn't he? So I he's so. but he's still like a legit old man at this yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. I also can't imagine Die Hard as a sequel to Commando. Like Commando's great, but like the tone of it is so f- like mm. they're polar fucking opposite. But it would yeah. have been it would have been tonally a very different film, I guess. It would have yeah. just been I mean, you've even you know, welcome to the party, pal. Oh, yeah. Even the, Although I, I guess let off some steam. Like that's all the one-liners in yeah. Commando. Welcome, but welcome isn't welcome to the party, Richter. A line from Commando, anyway. Oh, I wonder if that, welcome to the party, Richter. Oh, it might I think be. Yeah. Fuck, maybe you're right. Yeah, to. yeah, maybe it's a reference. And yeah. I can actually see uh, John McClane like throwing someone onto a steam pipe and saying, like, yeah. let off some steam, pal." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should point out. Why is John McClane Randy Newman? (laughs) 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 I should point out that's that's a highly contested point about the whole commander thing because I know it's it's one of those things where like it's a sort of like given and a standard thing, Mm. but there's all like you know some people saying like I think it was D'Souza or whoever saying like oh no no it's never gonna be like that it's like yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) no never gonna be that way sure mate sure but um yeah I think it's like anything when a project evolves into one of the most successful or not even the most successful certainly very beloved action film. Um, that people end up saying like, well, its origins mm-hmm. were always going to be different. You know? I think so. One of the interesting things with Die Hard 4.0 or Live Free or Die, what's it? I think the problem <laughs> that you've um, that's the bit you got wrong. The problem Die, what? <laughs> die, li- Live Free or Die thing. Uh, the the problem that you've got there as well. Sometimes on sequelizers, our cure is set it later. Sure. Give mm. give it a bit of breathing room. Let's find out what's happened to this character. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an what instance. Five is. Yeah, this is an instance where it's like this is um, this this feels maybe like it's too late. Yeah, yeah, definitely. For us to just pick up with John McClane, like that isn't no thing. I got a question. It's it's because I don't. I think like everything, you could be the right writer and the right cast and right crew. Mm. You can arguably do anything. 
Is it possible to do a Die Hard film post 9-11? Yes. Good. Answer, move it on. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I would think so. Yeah, because yeah. I think, it's, that obviously, this is the nature of the whole tech thing and seeing the capital blowing up and all that sort of stuff feels very, well, what if John McClane was around during 9-11? Like, well, he'd still be John McClane running around. Yeah. I don't really I've, see where you're going with that. I think it's possible to do a die-hard film at any point. Sure. The question that you have well, to ask yourself is... 2049. Bruce Willis's career. <laughs> but, my, but my question is, how possible is it to do a die-hard film where John McClane is the protagonist? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think yeah. that that is one of the inherent biggest problems of the die-hard films is that continued implausibility of it being John McClane. Yeah. And I think the my pro- one of my biggest problems with 4 is that this is the point where he just turns into the full-blown superhero, superhuman... Mm. That's true. Action stuff. Because yeah. that's like the only way to go with it by the time you get to the fourth film. It's like, well, we have to keep upping the ante and we have to keep putting him in these situations. So it's like, no, we just commit to this idea that John McClane's Superman. Especially for an early or mid-2000s audience who are at that point getting things like Transformers and stuff. And you know, that kind of action is what people expect from an action film in inverted commas, not a guy in a vest. Mm. It's more like the nostalgia of, oh, I remember this. This was quite cool or something like that. Then you have to end up with... A th- I mean, uh, for example, the, the jet scene in True Lies is ridiculous, but it kind of works. Mm. Oh, I'm not a big fan of True Lies. <laughs> but Die Hard is like, nope, you don't belong here. This is dumb. Mm. And I think one of the one of the related problems here is Bruce Willis, because I, I disagree with Matt, and I think he is fully asleep in this film. There, there is one <laughs> point where he wakes up, and it's when he has to give his little monologue about how... Like, oh, being a tough guy ruins your life and your uh, kids don't yeah. want to see you. Yeah. Yeah. And, th- and that's the one point where I can si- where I was like, oh, look, he's he's actually, like, trying to do some acting here. And the rest of the time, he's playing it... <coughs> he's playing it like the character has seen it all before, which he... Which, admittedly... At this point, he, he has, has, yeah. But it's also been 12 years since he's done any... Presumably done anything yeah. like this. And the reason that we liked the original John McClane is because he was in over his head... He didn't know what he was doing. He was making it up as he went along. And this character just feels... He feels like he's, like, gliding through this film. Like, nothing that happens in it is going to affect him. And he's never worried. And so, there's no stakes for us. Like, he's just like, Oh, yeah, I just, you know, I killed a a, a helicopter with a car. And, (laughs) you know, like... Oh well, uh, yeah, I'm just response, gonna. I ran out of bullets. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I'm j- I'm just gonna shoot through myself to kill the bad guy because uh, yeah, it's fine. It's what I do, and it's like that does not make for an engaging action hero. And Bruce Willis, you should be ashamed of yourself <laughs> I don't think for many reasons. <laughs> I, yeah. Is he yeah. capable of shame? Yeah. yeah. Like you yeah. looked at me like, and I was gonna have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> Is he Matthew? I don't think so. But I think that that also just comes home to the sort of hammers home the point because it's not just that it's the absurdness the absurd nature of some of the things that he does in this film as you said it's not like like again john mcclain kind of uses some scrappy smarts in the first film to get out of some situations where you go oh that's that's moderately clever given the situation we're in that's thinking quick on your feet and improvising with some duct tape Whereas, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I shot myself because I knew that if I shot myself there, I'd shoot him and I shot myself. And it's like, that's, that's like, ridiculous. Mm. That's dumb. Mm. That's 
just completely stretching the realms of probability for the sake of this stupid movie. Yeah, when when we were sequelizing Too Fast, Too Furious, I was like, I'm going to steal the killer helicopter with a car thing for the finale of that because it works because it's, it's, yeah. it's a Fast thing, and Furious thing and, yeah. and you're building towards a universe where Vin Diesel can collapse a building by hitting it hard yeah. and then <laughs> The Rock can redirect a torpedo um, that is not the level that Die Hard should be operating at and so here it just feels so artificial and it's not helped by the action direction in this is very bad. The sense mm-hmm. of geography, which is so good in the first Die Hard film, um, you always know where you are. Some of these action scenes are borderline incomprehensible, and the CGI is also very bad. Um, it, it, it is interesting to stick with Bruce Willis for a second, because if you take a similar franchise slash actor, and, and bear with me a second here, now, unlike one that is grounded in reality... Shrek. <laughs> Shrek 3. Live, live free or, or Shrek, Shrek hard. <laughs> live free, it must work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so essentially another comparison would be Indiana Jones. Oh, okay. That's but you're going. Indiana Not Jones Shrek. starts off being over the top and silly. And it, it, it knows what mm. it is. It's self-aware and it's obviously a demonstrative different thing. But Harrison Ford, grumpy fucker. And the longer you go on, the less... <laughs> indie he is and the more he's just I'm just Harrison well the thing the thing with Harrison Ford of course is that he is the other everyman hero archetype yes like it's you have John McClane and then you have all the characters that Harrison Ford (laughs) plays in the late 80s just all of Harrison Mm. Ford's but the thing with the thing with I didn't kill my wife yeah get off my plane I don't care Uh, the thing with um, Indy is that as you said he kind of starts off as that yeah. he starts off larger than life and because of the thing that it's a sort of nod to the kind of saturday morning adventure serial, yeah yeah you expect those kinds of heroics but with john mcclain yeah he's he's like you know he's just new york city detective mm. so we know that he's not like incompetent at these things because his no. job is to you know bust the crimps. yeah but he's also like these guys are terrorists mm. and he's I, I think City Cop something about the, the Die Hard that's almost entirely forgotten every single time, especially because it's actually referenced heavily throughout the fucking script of the first one. Die Hard kind of is and always should be a Western. It should be one lone man mm, against the odds kind yeah. of thing. One sheriff, one lawman, and who's like, you know, got his flaws, Rio Bravo stars, mm. like, you know, a drunk or whatever. It's and his be. irritating son. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> and he's just decided that he goes off and, you know, it's, he does the right thing at personal expense and the expense of his own well-being family because it's kind of the right thing to do and he's also he's the man there and he has to do it there's no alternative although i'm not sure if i agree with that because i don't think he's doing it at the expense of his family i think he's doing it entirely for his family i would say the first film yes second film sure third and fourth and fifth Mm. but i feel like the first one's the only one that counts (laughs) for me that's the that's the like in that case We'll see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because I feel like he, John McClane doesn't give a shit about any of the people in that building other than Holly McClane. It's just Holly, yes. That's yeah. why he's yeah. doing what he's doing in the first film. But I think I think that definitely makes a lot of sense. And I think that's... We talked about how Die Hard is a reaction to 80s action films. I think it's also... A, it's There's a lot of, like... Nostalgia. Uh, cu- uh, it's coming to terms with, like, progress and, like, masculinity. Oh, yeah. In, in the late 80s, because the the villains that you have are, are like Euro trash, like be ponytailed 
sharp-looking criminals. Jean-Paul mm. Gaultier. Yes. Um, who, who you know, buy, buy very fancy suits and stuff like that. And then, and then you've also got um, Ellis being a smarmy 80s dick. Mm. And John McClane is meant to harken back to that kind of masculinity that was kind of not necessarily of cowboy times, but of the people who grew up with cowboy films of yeah. the kind of the 50s. It's the 50s mindset, yeah. Um, well, they I, even call him, um, he calls himself Roy Rogers, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. He exactly. Goes, yeah, because yeah, he seems the actual action heroes and things like mm. that. Yeah. And like cowboys, and that's that's always sort of fed throughout. And as you say, the, the bad guys are arguably a feat. Mm. Queer-coded, technically? Yeah, you probably, um, yeah. Europeans, uh, in, in that American thing, as, yeah. a, as a broad comparison to, yeah. to American, you know, th- that sort of mindless, I'm yeah. just a guy, I'm a simple guy, I like my simple life. And mm. It's like, okay. And also, his wife is also either, well, effectively the breadwinner of the house now, mm. and her job is more important than it is, and he has to deal with it. And classically, in every one of these films, John McClane doesn't. He refuses yeah. <laughs> to move on with the time. He goes, well, uh, it's like, you're going to... Like actually help you anything with your family. This is one thing about the whole like family thing. It's like he is trying to save his family, but the cookie cutter image of what he has of his family. Mm. It's like I believe it's this. It's like well, she has her own ideas. No, I'm gonna go get her. <laughs> it's like no. <laughs> Again, even like Die Hard Four with the whole uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead playing his daughter. It's like she's going to college. I'm keep on her. You probably don't need to. Except it's like ah, but I did because a criminal came for you. And it's like I mean that's because of you. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, you know, like, we've bashed on Die Hard 4 a lot, deservedly. Yes. Um, but I think, like, the idea of the hacking thing kind of makes sense in that regard because it is another, like, here's another new thing that John McClane doesn't know how to deal with. Mm. Um, but the problem is, is that, like, especially with Die Hard 1 and 3, they've been about very kind of, like, intelligent, smart plots by the bad guys. Oh, yeah. um, and... Hacking, although it is clearly something that requires a lot of intelligence, it's so abstract mm. that it doesn't feel smart. In the same way that, like, robbing a, a, a faking a terrorist attack to do a robbery, or like hiding loads of gold under rubble and stuff like mm. that. And so, this time the robbery twist doesn't feel smart. It feels like the villains have watched other Die Hard films and gone, <laughs> "Hey, that's a good idea." Mm. <laughs> He's also basically Ed Harris from The Rock. Of like saying, mm. here's a problem I've noticed. Um, I'm reporting it to the higher station. The government and whoever has failed me and doesn't believe I'm right, I will show them that they're wrong. Mm. The difference is he's not like, you know, saluting Noble Ed Harris. I'm never going to actually go through it. It's all been a bluff. Mm. He's Timothy Oliphant. And you're like, hi, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? You, you were good in Deadwood and Justified. He's good in Go as well. He's good in a lot of things. He's great, in, die hard he's great in the Santa Clarita Diet, which is a show that Netflix shouldn't have cancelled and did. That sucks. Classic Netflix. Yeah, that's the thing. He's a he's a he's a he's talented a actor. Yeah. yeah, he's just not given anything to do, and ne- um, neither is um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Neither is Mary Elizabeth Justin Winstead. Uh, Maggie Q was oh, the first one. Oh, Maggie Q. Yeah, she absolutely. is like a textbook example of that. Like in quotation marks strong female character because mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah. but she can she can kick ass and it's like yes but she also has no characterization mm. and then all she does is kick ass all she does is That's kick ass we have no idea of like why she's doing that what her relationship is with um what's his face isn't the line when she dies john mcclain just says may asian chick kicks a lot yeah she's down there with a SUV around for us i'm like 
oh, that's the description of a character. Yeah. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then we also get John McClane calling her a bitch as he's fighting her. And it's oh, like, yeah. Mm, yeah, I don't think you're doing what you think you are for like women's rights <laughs> by having <laughs> her be like the, the but that lieutenant. But that is on brand for McClane. Mm. Okay, here's a bold choice. Uh, not, it's not a real pitch yet. It's not time for it. But gen- gender bent John McClane. No, fuck it. I say make John McClane the fucking villain. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. I say okay. fuck you all. Maggie, Maggie Q is the hero. And I mean, I'm okay with it. Yeah. yeah. I'll watch it. Yeah. So I hinted at it at the top of the show that people quite like this film. Mm. So I'm not going to ask you guys for the Rotten Tomato score for <gasps> Die Hard 4. Do we, do we have to dance? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you must That'll work. dance your sexiest dance. That'll work <laughs> on a podcast. Dance? He is dancing. You don't have to see it, thank God, but he is. You don't have to see it, but you can feel it. Everybody in this room can feel it. Not that we want to. No, (laughs) that's how dancing works. It moves you. I would like you to guess in what order from highest rated to lowest rated Mm, the five currently released Die Hard films are. Five is the bottom. (laughs) Good guess, Matthew Stogden. Okay, yeah. 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 Uh, Are we each going to come up with one or are we going to try and... We'll run through through, ours. Go through through each. Are we talking about our opinion or how we think it would actually rate. How you think? But, but I. Because yeah. Saying. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go for the actual scores. Let's okay. let's try and guess. Okay. Okay. Not guess the actual scores, but the actual order. It We're should pitching be, yeah. critics and fans and all that sort of shit. Yeah. Is this is this audience score? This or? is this is critic score. Critics. So I always go. Oh, my my Rotten Tomato scores are always critic That's scores. Fair enough, okay. Yeah. So Matt, what order do you think the five according to Rotten Tomatoes mm. critic scores? Okay, let's go. What is the t- highest rated Die Hard film? Bottom to high. Uh, I'm going to say the lowest is five. Okay. I'm going to say the next one up in the fourth position is going to be Die Hard 2. Okay. And I think Die Hard 3. Okay. Then Die Hard (laughs) 4, then (laughs) 1. So I think it goes 5, 2, 3, 4, 1. Okay. Tim? I remember this being quite highly praised when it came out unfortunately i've um, given you a clue there yeah yeah so higher than it fucking should be in this list five out of five i've just opened your game i yeah i think i'm gonna change up slightly what matt said just just for the sake of variety um one's the bottom <laughs> <laughs> so i think it goes five at the bottom then three even though i think it's a better film than most of them. Okay. Uh, then two, then four, then one. Okay. Plowman? Uh, I agree with Stogden for like the first time ever. So I'm going to go... What? Like, I say that a lot on this podcast. Yeah. We agree all the time. Yeah, we, we, we agree fairly yeah, frequently. Yeah, we do. But, um, you're, you're making the eyes. You're making those yeah, sexy eyes. Yeah, we do. Take your you trousers off. <laughs> <laughs> we agree on that too. Carry on. Well, I hate to ruin this beautiful moment, but Tim is spot on. Oh. <laughs> oh, shit. So, Interesting. In at, num- in at oh. number five, with, just took them off, with 15%, it's 2013's Ooh. A Good Day to Die Hard. That's actually a little high. Honestly. 15%. I have, is... um, I've still not seen that yeah. film. Don't would you, would you recommend it? No. It's fucking awful. I watched it straight after the fourth one the other day. It's he falls mm. through so many windows. Yeah, he really does. There's so many helicopters. Yeah. And it's so, in inverted commas, Russia, but it's not. In at number four with fifty-two percent, it's Die Hard with a Vengeance. I'm surprised. That surprises me. Yeah. 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 Although fifty odd percent is not what I'm, I, I would have thought. Die Hard Two was less than that, but yeah, 
Uh, I'm, not, I'm not agreeing with that because I think Diaries are going to agree with Tim. It's quite a good film. But mostly because of the performance of Samuel L. Jackson. So. See, I think Die Hard 3 is a decent film until the last third. And then in the last third, I think it just completely jumps the shark in terms of ridiculousness. Yeah, it's good when they're running around the city. When they realise it's pointless, they're like, oh. Yeah. And then I, the I audience realises it's pointless too, and you're like, oh. I feel a bit betrayed that, oh, we thought this was going to be kind of smart, and now it's just an extended action sequence with the now helicopter we're on a boat. in a tunnel or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah. That's Mission Impossible. Oh. Yeah, pretty much. There's a thing with a helicopter. He does something stupid with a helicopter. In that he shoots it. He, yeah, he shoots a helicopter. Okay. Well, that was still done. What does she do? She's going to the power lines. Christ, I don't remember. Which yeah. Mission Impossible someone is, is the one Someone's with the helicopter in a helicopter. In the it was the first one, I Which think. Which one? Yeah. Uh, Simon Groove is in the helicopter, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Uh, it dumb, anyway. It dumb. It dumb. It dumb. In at number three, it's Die Hard 2 from 1990 with 68%. I like Die Hard 2. I'm just coming out there. I enjoy yeah. it. I watched yep. it a lot as a kid. I like it a lot. Yep. It's better got, than better than four. It's got William Sadler doing naked Tai Chi. Yep. <laughs> it <laughs> does have that. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> if that doesn't I, boost its rating, I don't know what does. Oh, you see his bum and everything. I yep. <laughs> Iron Man three pays president, gets his yeah. ass out. <laughs> you don't see it, but it's there. Bill and Ted's Burgers Journey gets his ass out. Oh. <laughs> We see a very theme few actors here, have that Sandler. contractual stipulation <laughs> that they have to show their ass. But he's like uh, Tom Hanks and peeing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, speaking of peeing, in at number two, the grossly overrated "Live Free or Die Hard," aka "Die Hard 4.0, 82 percent. No, 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 no. You can fuck right it's, off. It's a 50 or maybe a 60. This is just a nostalgia thing, though. I think that this was people at the time being like, yeah, we don't had a diehard in about 20 years. And here's a diehard. That's exactly what it is. I know, I know a topic that you often bring up, Alec, is whether the reviews are contemporary to the time when the film came out mm. or if they're modern yeah. and like looking back with nostalgia or looking back with mm. knowledge of the series and how bad it is. Most of the ones on there are contemporary to 2007. See, I, my so. review of this, I was literally rereading it and I was like, this is a 22, 23 year old man. I was shouting, You fucking young dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> You're being swayed by your love of Die Hard, you fool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think the, 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 the very specific context of 2007 is also important there because we've had the first wave of superhero films and now people are starting to sour on them. That's yep. like Spider Man 3 time. Yeah. Um, the Spider Man's and your blades and your whatnots. You've mm-hmm. got Transformers, as we mentioned earlier, is like coming out. And it comes out in 2007, doesn't it? Yeah. The first one, yeah. yeah I think yeah. it was the year of the threequel. It was Shrek 3, Spider-Man 3, Pirates 3? Probably, yeah. Um, sounds about right. Yeah, sorry. Tim. Yeah, and I think I think that some critics would have regarded this in some ways as a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Um, yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, I also think that um, you hadn't had this massive wave of reboots at this mm, point. Very true. Um, so... Uh, we've not had Rocky. Have we had Rocky Balboa at this point? Uh, that's 2006. 2006. Yeah. Okay. So you've had Rocky Balboa, but you've not had Rambo. Correct. Um, that's 2008, I think. 2007, yeah. 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 And like, like these franchises haven't really, in terms of what we would then see in the coming years, which is so many 80s franchise being rebooted yeah. or, uh, or sequeled with sort of diminishing returns. There, there's perhaps a novelty factor here. You haven't had the fucking Expendables at this point. Oh, oh no, that, yeah. yeah. That's a, that's exactly. a very good point. That's 2010, I think, isn't it? Expendables I'd 1. And then 2012 yeah. is the second and one. And it's so around the, around the 
weird that Bruce Willis shows up in that being like, yeah, I'm one of these guys because like, the whole point is that you would, you were not one. He, he, would not. he fucking the hates whole point. it. Yeah, he hates it as well. You can tell he hates it. Yeah. And the appropriately rated 93 percent for 1988 classic Die Hard one. Yeah. That's that's low. I think anything over ninety, I'm like, I'll let you off. That's yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, but who are the seven percent of critics who are like, nah, not yeah. keen on Die Hard? Bring back Schwarzenegger. I assume they were like Die Hard '80s action people Probably who not. wanted. I, so yeah, Die Hard. 80s I assume they were just people in the '80s who just didn't like those kinds of movies. Yeah. Full stop. And I think the thing to remember is that to contemporary audiences, Bruce Willis was not an action star. Bruce Willis was a the sitcom guy, star. Yeah. Yeah. He was the guy from Moonlighting. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and I think and then a pro- pop star, right, Bruce? <laughs> Bruno Sorry, the Bruno kid, fucking Bruno. Bruno. Not not a pop star, jazz. Uh, jazz, jazz. <laughs> not, a, not a pop star, Jack. He's a blue. No, star. stick with jazz. Jazz is great. Yeah. Jack, your new name Secret. is Jazz. <laughs> jazz Chambers. Man. You're a, you're a transformer. Jazz Chambers. Jazz oh. Chambers. Yeah. I hate jazz, but I, like I fucking jazz. hate jazz. <laughs> Oddly enough, there's another little thing with the uh, kind of rankings and the notes and facts i have here about the the series as a whole mm. the fourth one is also is both the highest budget and the highest grossing of the entire yeah, series as well yeah. that doesn't surprise me either though mm, i no. think no that doesn't surprise me yeah. i'm just like yeah kind of i remember sense. loads of, like <clears throat> and i think that that was one of those movies that because it was a nostalgia fest it brought loads of people out to the cinema mm-hmm. like who don't normally go my mum and dad went to go and see die hard for I can remember. Adrian Plowman's got to be a diehard man, right? Yeah, he's yeah. Got uh, a, yeah. Actually, like he's my, your father. Yeah, right? my mum <laughs> is a. He's your father. He's your yeah. father. My Come m- collect him my from till three. <laughs> <laughs> I get that a lot. Bing bong. Uh, um, Could yeah. a Mister Alexander Plowman come and collect Don't his <laughs> very rowdy Welsh father from from checkout three, please? The sign said these minstrels were two for one. <laughs> Don't see Sally, we have to pay for two of them. John Ruddy McLean wouldn't put up with this. <laughs> That's absolutely something Adrian Plowman would say. Yippee Kaye, Mother Cashier, give me my fucking sweets. <laughs> um, oh, uh, yeah. That is a spot on impression of your dad, by the yeah. way. My, uh, my mum is the diehard fan in the family. Oh. Uh, we watch it uh, every Christmas. Replace all that stuff with nice. Alex's mum. Yeah. Yeah. My mum is Scottish. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be buying the minstrels in the first place. That'd be my dad, definitely. <laughs> anyway, love you guys. Um, <laughs> Shout out to your <laughs> mum and dad. Who <laughs> don't listen to this show. Um, right. So we've learned that Die Hard 4, aka Live Free or Die Hard, is thoroughly overrated. But the real question is, how are you gentlemen going to fix it? Because this piece of shit needs fixing, in my opinion. We got to address the McLean-ish. Because I think that that's our first and foremost, is what we going to do with that motherfucker? Because John McLean in Die Hard 4 is not John McLean. He's like Zombie McLean at this point. (laughs) (laughs) He's like just this this nothing in a husk, this McLean husk that he inhabits. uh, A bit Jason from Friday the 13th. Mm. Yeah, just this un- 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 incredible realm of like, nope, that's just we're going along with it for some reason. But okay, but it is that thing. It's like the zombie Homer Simpsons thing. 
the idea that after season 10 of The Simpsons, Homer Simpson becomes aware that he's Homer Simpson mm. and therefore is making all these references like, yeah, I'm fat and stupid. I'm Homer Simpson, which is all this stuff he's not aware. Like, he doesn't yes, yeah. view himself as that in previous seasons. It's this thing where John McClane turns around and is like, I'm a fucking action hero. I'm aware that I'm great at this. And it's like... I'm untouchable and unbeatable yeah. and nothing can possibly go I wrong. I will survive yeah. anything. And it's like, mm, got some... You know, I'm so confident of how awesome I am that I can literally shoot myself and I will be fine. Yeah. So John McClane needs to be fixed. I think the other thing is that, like, especially in the first film, like, John McClane's charming. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he point. gets on with people. He is friendly. He is, like, personable. Um, you know, with Argyle and with, like, the whole, like, such a fundamental part of that film is his relationship with Al. And, like, yeah, even in, in latter films, like, he doesn't get on with Samuel L. Jackson's character uh, to start with. Zeus, I want to say. Yeah, it's not Jesus. Yes. Um, <laughs> he doesn't look Puerto Rican. But they eventually, like, they they build a relationship through the turmoil of everything. Um and in this film, he's just a dick all the time. Mm, like yeah. he's like going into he's like, know-it-all dick, which yeah, annoys yeah. me even more. Going up to like Kevin Smith, and and rather than like trying to like talk him into helping them, he's just like, "I'm going to shoot you if you don't help me." Yeah, and it's like, don't be an ass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. He, he's also one of those examples of a uh, a New York cop in the eighties. Who's not a massive fucking racist? <laughs> and it's like he doesn't go out of his way to not be racist, but it's like, oh, yeah, he's just a nice guy, and obviously he's got his own interests and motivations and that sort of stuff. But he's, and again, it's, I think part of that whole like appealing to a certain audience. He's the in inverted commas kind of guy you'd want to have a beer with, sort of thing. He's just cracks up some jokes. He's also quite smart in a certain way, like street smart sort of thing. He's not. Ellis, he's not Ellis, for example, who's mm. just a monster of a twat, um, and he's not Gruber, who's a self-involved piece of shit. He's just this guy, and I hate to say that it's, it's that um, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy quote. It's just this guy, you know. Mm, um, but yeah, then, of course, yeah. as it goes on, he becomes less about the guy. He becomes more about the tropes and the tick box exercise of he needs to do this, he needs to say this. And I will say this much, and it's a bit of a it's a bit of an odd statement. We always expect characters in uh, returning features to be kind of the same. Uh, and like, oh, that's familiar. I recognize that. Um, whereas in truth, you could have someone who's very charming in their 30s or whatever it is. And they come back in their 50s and they're a complete asshole. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what the fuck happened to you, man? Mm-hmm. It's like three fucking major incidents happened mm-hmm. to me. And my family won't talk to me, so fuck you. It can work, but your actor has to care and your script has to be good. Yeah. And but that also has to be because <coughs> when we do a leap forward on sequelizers, we normally do a things have changed leap yep. forward, mm. which this film doesn't really, Not really do. You need to be kind of addressing why this person has ended up in this state and have them sort of get back to where they were before or find a new equilibrium at the end of it. We don't really have this with John McClane in this movie. Mm. I guess the question that I would raise is. Could we do a... That, does John McClane have to be a protagonist in this Die Hard movie? Because antagonist, you say? No, I didn't <laughs> say antagonist. Because my feeling is that... I think if you want to do a Die Hard sequel that does the original justice, you need to introduce a new protagonist. 
because I think that you need to have a fish out of water who you can put through the ringer in the same way that you did John McClane in the original Die Hard movie. Now, John McClane could be there. John McClane could... Yeah, Tim and I have talked about this before, the idea that John McClane could take the owl role. Mm. He could be... Or the Holly McClane role. John McClane could be the person who is trapped in the situation that this newbie needs to get them out of. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that you can keep that continuity there, mm. but I'm not convinced that you can make a diehard film work if John McClane is the protagonist. So behind the curtains for you listeners, this is where we get to a semi-classic format in the right up, yep right up until recording we were like okay well we have some irreconcilable differences um we don't agree how, where the sequel should go etc etc et and one of the major sticking points is john mcclain so we all agree mcclain is a problem and needs to be fixed and most importantly the representation of the character but as uh alec has said is it worth staying with the character now i personally feel that Die Hard without McLean is in danger of either being a Bourne film without Bourne, where you go, I don't give a shit, or alternatively, an Indiana Jones film without Indiana Jones, where everyone just sort of rejects it and says, this isn't what I want. Now, I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying that, effectively speaking, I don't know if it should be done. Well, part of the reason that you would then have to keep McLean into it and why he might work better as an owl character, which is what... Um, Tim suggested to me when we talked about this mm. is because then he acts as a kind of mentor figure. Oh yeah, no, And I if we it, yeah, have yeah. a passing the torch movie rather than a he's just not there movie mm. I think we can skirt around some of those issues. Especially if and another option here is that we make that new protagonist a McLean. Mm. So Ooh. one of his kids be it his daughter or his son who it's we know that there are either um if you make it either of those people, then you have a familial link. You can even then potentially bring back Holly McLean in some kind of capacity. And I think that the audience is still going to go see it because it's still got Bruce Willis on the banner head. But you are allowing a torch passing for a new kind of diehard. Yeah, um, like like you say, when we, we first started talking about this, Alex's idea, or my idea was have John McLean as the kind of owl figure, someone who's on the outside offering advice talking you know a new character potentially his son or his daughter through through this situation and alec had the idea of like well maybe we put him in the holly janeiro role and and he's actually been captured and i actually the more i thought about it i really liked that idea because it it reinforces that idea that nothing john mcclain does is particularly like extraordinary he just gets away with it because people underestimate him. And if mm. you had a villain that was actually like, oh, no, we've we've heard of you. We've seen your file. Like, we know what you're capable of. So <laughs> we're here, and, like, I have three friends with guns uh, all pointed at you, and you're going to come with us, and we're going to handcuff you to this radiator. Like, if you do that, like, John McClane is not so extraordinary that he can be, he's like... He's not MacGyver. Yeah, he's not <laughs> MacGyver. He's not going to get out of that. Like, if you keep a guard trained on him, like... It's kind of fucked, um, and I I quite like that as a almost like an undermine and like not to make the character useless and completely like undermine him, but but as a way of just kind of tempering that idea of you know oh the 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 super heroic runs across a jet fighter McLean uh, to just be yeah. like no if if you know he's coming he's just a dude yeah it, it's rehumanizing him isn't yes, it it's, yeah. it's bringing back the everyday guy instead of having this fucking indestructible fast and furious style superhero mm. 
And if you have a scenario where, you know, because McLean is still smarter than your average bear, if you have a, <laughs> <laughs> if you have a scenario where he can eventually escape from his captors mm. and then team up with the hero, whoever mm. our new protagonist is, you still get a bit of the classic McLean action hero stuff at the end. But you especially get to emphasize that McLean is now older and this puts him even more out of his depth. Maybe he's got a heart condition or something. Maybe he's just, <laughs> you know, kind of he's got it stacked against him a bit more. Perhaps he's lost a leg to diabetes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. But like something, there's something that he's got stacked against him that makes it I love that there's even a more like pirate perilous. <laughs> yeah, perilous for him. Yeah. yeah, I think that that like someone is eventually going to underestimate him or get lazy and like he will escape. And Beat him to death with his fake leg. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, what you're describing is The Rock in that goddamn skyscraper film. Yes, Which I is, thought was yeah. fine. It but was fine, but it was also kind of diehard. <laughs> it was It was just diehard, yeah. Skyscraper <laughs> is just diehard. So yeah. the, the Rock is his like half Samoan, half black son somehow. <laughs> so what? yeah, <laughs> what we're saying what we're is just make Skyscraper, but <laughs> instead of Neve Campbell, it's Bruce Willis. <laughs> is that where we're going? Yes. That sounds like what you're saying, yeah. <laughs> So talking about John McClane and how we can fix him and where he fits in the film and the franchise going forward and all that sort of stuff is, is yeah, definitely something we need to sort out. But also the action itself. Um, at the time, contemporarily speaking, breath of fresh air, arguably. Um, but, you know, reflective advice. It's like, no, nah, this is shit. Um, it's also weirdly grounded in the... Well, not grounded in the long way. It's, it's, it's weirdly tempered in the fact that it was a PG-13 film. And so when it was released on DVD, as it, oh, here it is as a 15 rather than 18, because it didn't warrant it. It was like, oh, yeah, a bit more swearing and blood. This makes much more sense. This works a bit better, but it's still not good. And the key thing as well isn't just the action needs to be, you know, better directed and better. Thing. It needs to be much more uh, credible. I mean, the whole film needs to be much more grounded. It needs to be something that is going to be, uh, for lack of a better phrase, feel like a diehard film or what diehard was the first one. So it's, it strikes me, based on what you're saying there, that we need to create a scenario for the film that facilitates those kinds of set pieces. Because the other thing with this one is it's kind of... It feels almost too big. There's too, too many big. locations. Mm. There's too much hopping across the it, map. It's not a it's thing one man's supposed to fix. Yeah. It's an agency or a bureau or something. So can, yeah. Something that I would love to do is actually to go back to the original Die Hard and try and set this in a single location mm. or in a smaller location <laughs> that facilitates those kind of action mm. pieces. That strikes me as being maybe something we need to do or smaller set of locations, mm. but so that we are somewhere to give it a feeling of groundedness mm. because we just don't have that at the moment. We'll come back to this later, but, but ultimately I had an idea for a certain thing, which is the same sort of thing. And Alex had, no, no, smaller, smaller. <laughs> I was like, uh, because I, I yeah I, I think that again we we all associate certain things with Die Hard, and what sounds silly. Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, despite all of New York to play with, actually feels quite content because it's two guys in a cab most of the time. And the instant that they get out of the cab and they get into the bigger city, it that becomes less of a Die Hard film. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And Di even Die Hard Two is set mostly <laughs> in and around the airport, isn't yes, it? Yep. It absolutely keeps you it's in contained. the location. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's Die Hard at an airport. Yeah, mm. it, keep, it keeps the it keeps the the writing arguably, hopefully, reasonably tight because it means you have actual stakes. You have 
peril. Obviously, in the first one, there's reasons why you can't get out of the building and why you shouldn't get out of the building. Second one, it's weather being in the way, which actually is actually a reasonable plot. Mm. Third one is just literally the chaos, and that goes a little too far in terms of the grounding of that thing. But even on the, on the, on the, um, aside from him surfing on a fucking garbage truck yeah. and then being shot out of a pipe like <laughs> Augustus Gloop. Um, <laughs> uh, I believe the anti-Gloop because Augustus got <laughs> oh, stuck. Got stuck yeah. <laughs> um, effectively, other than that, so that it, most of it is is quite, again, grounded and realistic until he jumps onto a boat and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then by four and five, it becomes so... Absurd. I mean, five is so horrifically absurd. It is, yeah. 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 It goes full fast and furious. Yeah, in yeah, a bad way. Fair. No, yeah, yeah. Not in a fair. good. Yeah, I'll say. Oh, they fix the franchise. Is, is smart with it because yeah. Fast and Furious gets good, well, good again, ish. Yeah. With with five, mm. whereas Die Hard jumps the fucking shark. Um, a thing that we, and this is certainly not a unique uh, thought that I'm bringing to the table, and it, in fact, we've talked. Don't about bother, it. Tim. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> only um, unique thoughts are allowed on this podcast. We've talked about it in the in the chat, uh, sort of preparing for the the episode. The best diehard film of the past twenty years is White House Down, yeah. um, which is which is restricted to a single location. That location is just the White House, um, and in a lot of ways, it does feel like what the natural evolution of Die Hard should be because it is both bigger because it's the White House, but <laughs> it's also contained. Um, and I don't think that you can necessarily just like drop John McClane into that situation and have it like make perfect sense mm. um but uh and i enjoy white house down like but it's a slightly olympus has fallen was better what i don't know which one's which that says it all <laughs> there you go yeah uh, white house down is channing tatum okay the other one's gerard butler yeah mm-hmm. um yeah they're, they're like white house down is enjoyable but it's slightly too big action to be a, a, it's a die Emmerich. hard film yeah it's, 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 it's restrained for Emmerich, but it's yes still, yeah, absolutely yeah. um but yeah I, t- I totally agree that we need to we need to ground the action and we also yeah we need to have a location that forms a kind of cent- a central hub if not like the single location for the, the film to take place mm. um because i think you know and this is something i touched on earlier but like the sense of location in the original Die Hard is so good. Like you have that sequence where John McClane is like literally going through the building and he is working out how everything is connected. And because John McTiernan's a great director, like yeah. that also is yeah. orienting us so that when the action becomes more fast paced, we know exactly where it is, like where John McClane is in the building. Mm. And so like you can do things that are faster uh, and quicker paced and you don't have to worry about the, audience losing track of him whereas like this film like the the opening shootout even is so badly staged Mm -hmm. because you haven't taken the time to show the audience like this is what the room looks like you know you don't have to be super obvious in that you can do it while the characters are talking and other stuff's happening but you've got to get those fundamentals in it's unfortunate that we're just at a really circa 2007 we're at a really bad point in cinema for that anyway mm. like in the post and it's that weird thing where everybody moans about the first born film for all of the shaky cam and everything else but there's still at least spatial orientation in that mm. even if the cameras are shaky the problem was that a bunch of people saw that and then went oh cool shaky cam that's yeah. the way to do it 
Mm. And then you end up with like that infamous sequence in Quantum of Solace or whatever it oh. is. Where it's oh, like good lord. So yeah. we're in, <coughs> we're at that point where it's like, okay, we just, yeah, it doesn't, people don't need to know what's going on in action sequences. They just need to feel the motion sickness. <laughs> well, this is the thing, like, Die Hard's a great example of this. You end up charging ahead, trying something new, changing in a way how things are presented, and then everyone says, oh, I get it. It's like, you really don't. You <laughs> need to back away from this. Um, and then everyone gets so these imitators. But yeah, Die Hard's sort of the first one's um, visual storytelling is fantastic. It opens a door very gingerly, sees all the you know the the giant cases that will be taken through later. You realize it's got like the rocket launcher sort of stuff, and goes to the next wall. You see it's like okay, this is all abandoned, and the lady fights with um, Thingy's brother in there. It's it just sets everything so. Uh, it's all. It's not foreshadowing as such. It's just literally layering of everything you'll need to know later, as you say, when everything speeds up. So we already have that common knowledge and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, it, it, I mean, I, I'd say it does need a better director than the Wiseman, but at the same time, I think part of the grounding, in my opinion, is to release it earlier rather than later, because I think you have a shelf life on Die Hard. And on Bruce Willis giving a shit about anything. Yeah. Yeah. Personally. Um, we touched on on director there, and yeah, um, don't think Len Wiseman was especially a sparkling choice here. No. I was wondering, did either of you guys have a choice in mind? I don't know if he's in jail at this point, but if Jesus. he's not, then John John McTiernan. John McTiernan's not a bad shout. Um, in jail? Yeah, tax evasion. Oh, yeah. something. Yeah, not the not another kitty fiddler kind of thing. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, no, good. No. Just just stealing money from the government. That's, that's fine, fine, in my opinion. It's good, if anything. Mean, that's, that's how. I, that's what Die Hard's all about. I really yeah. hope that like he and Wesley Snipes got together in jail and like <laughs> made an action with, movie. Came up with a film. <laughs> made so a. They've got this amazing prison movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Celebrity prison. It's Die um, Hard with vampires. Fuck yeah. I yeah. watch the hell Di- out of Surely that. Die Hard with a Vampire is yeah. the title. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to lie. I genuinely don't know. I'm, I'm, I I. don't think any of the... Other, other than John McTiernan, I'm always surprised by the people that get to direct these Die Hard. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> I mean, I can see why Rennie Harlan was a choice at the time. I kind of get it, yeah. Um, you don't want Emmerich then? No, God, no. No. No, no it, it, you need to be you need to be grounded. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's difficult because nobody's really doing that kind of movie at no, that point. That's yeah, I think, yeah that's late nineties, you could have a yeah. few names of people like resurgent career sort of stuff, but ultimately the the scene changing so much in terms of what action is and how it yeah. looks post Independence Day, pre Lord of the Rings, that sort of era. Mm. Maybe after that, you get CGI yeah. nature. It, it's it's tricky. I think it would have to be McTiernan if you were gonna worry about that detail mm. because he just is so integral for setting the stage mm. of the of the first Die Hard film and then yeah. you get to think to yourself well do you bring in some of the kind of newer people who have done things with action movies do you bring in your John Woo's do you bring in your Paul Greengrass's yeah. and it's like well no because they have such a style that doesn't lend itself to this um I was about to say I'd love to see Alex Garland have a crack at a Die I Hard I thought the movie. exact same thing, but and I thought mm, 2007. But he, but he did, and that movie is dread. So yeah. I mean, <laughs> yep. I thought the exact yeah, same thing. It, if like it was, this is the thing. I can think of a lot of people now who I'd like to see doing it. Um, maybe Sheridan, uh, S. Craig Zala, who did like Bone Tomahawk and stuff. I mean, there's mm. a lot of people oh, like yeah. now. We're like, that's a really good. Mm. But because they've grown up f- away from that thing, and that we have now this thing with the audiences starting to get more of a 
uh, very uh, grounded sort of action sort of film. The, 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 cha- room style. the challenge you've got is that there were really just a handful of like great action movie directors mm. in the 80s. The, typically, 80s action movies weren't about great direction. And really, th- I mean, there's three names that come to mind. And listeners, if you have any more, let us know if we're missing them. Sure. But I think of McTiernan, I think of Jim Cameron, and I think of Paul Verhoeven. Those are my, those are the the guys who come to mind. And Jim Cameron and Paul Verhoeven ain't gonna make a great Die Hard movie. Mm. No, they're not very tall. Yeah. yeah. The um the two names that I had come to mind, um, are like they're not people who I'd be like that's a great director. Um, they're people who I think have made good films. <laughs> um, and that uh, is a different thing, isn't it? You like yeah. it took me a while to kind of realize that. Like there are okay directors that make good films and good directors that make bad films and yeah yeah, yeah. um and they're of the kind of <laughs> they're sort of of that equivalent level of like a len wiseman who mm. if you've got a studio that kind of wants to keep control they're probably gonna you a know safe pair of hands safe, for the studio kind of thing exactly yeah. but i think they could probably make a better film than this one uh the two names that i thought of were and we actually mentioned uh the one of the reasons that I um, thought of this particular name earlier, which is Welcome to the Jungle slash The Rundown, uh, Peter Berg. Mm, interesting. Um, and the other one I thought of was Doug Lyman, who did uh, the Firstborn film mm-hmm. uh, and goes on to do Edge of Tomorrow. So, yeah. you know, he's he's clearly got some action chops. He did Mr. and Mrs. Smith as well, didn't he? He did around oh, this yeah. time. So, um, which yeah. again was another one of those things that was well received because it was mostly or felt at least in cam grounded action mm. stuff and obviously the star power of what was involved so yeah it's a good show i think um but again i I, t- I totally agree with with both of you where it's like yeah we're in a kind of a, a sort of famine period for great action directors at this point and i think uh, certainly of the kind that we want for a diehard film mm. and i think that if you were making one nowadays there's a lot more people you could point out and go like that person would make a really interesting diehard film yes my choice for that, if you're going to do it nowadays, was uh, Jeremy Saulnier, who did um, Green Room, Blue yes, Ruin, Green Hold the that, Dark. Because yes. yeah. Blue Ruin, just to go on a slight tangent, was like, I went into it completely cold, had no idea what oh, the fuck this film was about. I was like, oh, fuck, this is a brilliant revenge film, and yeah, I had yeah, no yeah. idea. And it feels very, like it's the everyman thrown into a situation he's not comfortable with, mm-hmm. and he has to deal with it in a very violent way. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like, it's a great kind of modern twist on the Die Hard thing. Mm-hmm. And I think if you guys had been doing like, yeah, let's do 2013 or whatever, which is when Blue Ruin came out, mm. he would absolutely be one of my picks. Yeah, but makes sense. yeah, not in 1999 or 2000 and, or whenever we're Green saying Room this. Blue Ruin is kind of a diehard. Yeah, in a yeah, way. with Nazi punks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. terrifying Patrick Stewart. Oh, oh Patrick yeah. Stewart's so good in that. So, yeah, we've mentioned that we had a a, a dispute. Uh, Fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. Oh. I, kept, I kept raging. I kept calling for a diehard knife fight, uh, for whose plot we would kind of go ahead with, but I no, nobody was up for it, no. and, and we couldn't find any sharp objects. Yeah. So <laughs> they keep getting taken away from us. Uh, <laughs> so we've we were just prodding each other with sporks, and we were like, "This is <laughs> this is stupid," and it's audio Spork only to the anyway. Death. Yeah. So yeah. It's not like then Matt got a paper cut, and we we're like, "This is a bit intense," so yeah. we just stopped. Yeah. We had to have a sit down. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. Cup of cocoa. Reevaluate our principles. 
So and we've decided knife fight. We've decided <laughs> we've settled on knife we've settled fight. Settled on knife fight. Yeah. We'll be using your Patreon money to buy knives. <laughs> <laughs> Provided that they don't ID us at home base. Yeah, yeah. We have too many knives. <laughs> Not enough hands. <laughs> um so we've basically got like three different ideas for a die hard film, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um so it's it's for a very brief season finale showdown. Sort of going back to the old finale yeah. showdown. Yeah. Nice. Because our pitch is for the hard, <laughs> as it's known in Germany. <laughs> the hard, the. <laughs> oh dear. So, so who wants who, to... yeah, who wants to go first out of the three of you? Why is everyone looking at me? Because I'm going to pick Tim to go first. That's why I was looking at you. I man. thought I thought we were all looking at you because we just wanted to get the worst out of the way first. Oh, oh, oh I am offended. <laughs> to quote Alec. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so I didn't, I didn't kind of plot out a full film. I didn't go full X Men Three on this. Um, <laughs> you never go full X Men Three. Exactly. Uh, but I thought this is the thing. I think that there are salvageable elements from the plot of Die Hard Four. Um, I don't think it's one of these situations where we need to take the whole thing and like push it into the sea. Um, but yeah, I the the main changes that I wanted to make to the plot are that. Uh, initially, I, I, the change that I said was that the the federal government should think that um, Justin Long's character is the one who is responsible for the hack, mm, okay. um, and that they are also pursuing him. And John McClane is the one guy who's figured out, like, no, this this kid is clearly innocent. Someone else has framed him for it. Um, the one of the things that I really disliked about the film uh is that um john mcclain is constantly like dragging this character along and who is resisting him the whole time and mm-hmm. there it, it really feels like it slows the film down um and i quite like the idea that he is the one who is like no we got to go clear my name You've got to he's come dragging john he's, around he's yeah. dragging john john around um and if you've got the federal government also pursuing him and like trying to take him out or whatever you restore that whole kind of world versus john mcclain dynamic that has served us well in the past um and also like the fact that john mcclain has like the fbi as backup in this feels really unnatural like the government in a diehard film should be bureaucratic and obstructionist and getting in the way and slowing people down they shouldn't be the people you turn to and go like hey you gotta gotta hook me up with like one of your you know, whatever. I need a car or something. Mm, yeah. um, it's a Republican's wet dream. Government is bad. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then, as I was thinking about this, I was like, actually, you know what? Let's just fucking boot Justin Long. Sorry, I'm sure you're a perfectly nice guy. I liked you <laughs> in other films. But <laughs> let's just have Lucy be the, the person who did the hack. Um, and so I think, you know, perhaps having her in, like, some kind of central like government facility where she's been working and then she gets framed for it and we have john trying to get to her and her trying to evade both the government who has come for her and the people who've actually caused the hack who are trying to silence her um and then we can have john walking her through the getting you know avoiding being killed and then eventually them uniting and going on to clear her name and kick ass and stuff yeah, like that. Nice. So that's that's the broad pitch. Mm. Okay, cool. Nice. 
So uh, I have a, a brief synopsis to offer as well. Thank God for that. Yeah. If you didn't, um, maybe a bit mine, stuck in the mud. Uh, mine started a little bit as a um, Olympus has fallen kind of thing, um, putting John in, and but then also drawing from the Western esque sort of. I did think you were saying it was starting with a little uh, Olympiskit. I was like. <laughs> a little Olympiskit. Um, if anyone's going to do that, it's Plow. Yeah. Now I know on. you'll Fred... be loving Die Hard right now. Oh, here. good oh. lord. <laughs> Fred Durst is directing. Um, we've got DJ Lethal as John McClane. Uh, <laughs> Fred <laughs> Durst also as John McClane. <laughs> it's five John McClanes. Wes Borland isn't sure about it, but still. Okay. So my thing well, was. Wes Borland won't do it unless he can wear his hat. Yes. He has to wear someone else's face. So he's the Michael Myers of the group. Yes. Call John McClane. So um, I came up with the idea that John McClane takes a job as a head of security for a Rhode Island sort of first African-American senator to be near his daughter while she studies at Brown University in nearby Providence. Played by Jamie Foxx? No, I actually want to play by Andrew, um, Andre Brower. Oh. Um, Captain I, Holt. Yeah. I mean, Brooklyn I Nine-Nine. And I thought he's really good wising and more stuff. And then finally he turns up in like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So yeah. I'm like, ah, there he is. He, being awesome. He's the best thing about that show. But I think he'd be and great. And it's a great show. Yeah. Uh, so Johnson have, uh, has is forced to have a team that he doesn't get on with because he's you know his lone wolf sort of stylings and subsequently feels ostracized, old and left behind the world, his family and his country, and it's that sort of putting John in a situation like everything's gone shit for you, hasn't it, John? It's like yeah, it's kind of your fault, isn't it, John? Not really, it's society. No, John, it's you. You failed to move <laughs> on. Which again, I feel is kind of intrinsic to a diehard film for me personally. Anyway, so um, while he's out speaking at a youth centre in uh, Providence, sort of Lois outside, an assassination attempt is made against the senator, um, and then McLean's team is like wiped out and their transport is destroyed, leaving John and the senator to navigate the neighbourhood. Um, the hips like carried out one of the local gangs by the order of some villain character, and then John repeatedly clashes with senator and his politics throughout the um, sort of ideological discussions as they go around trying to get out basically of this area. Um, it, it, it gives a chance to give a bit of um, what we've gleaned in uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance where you get someone who's like you know, you have a discussion about the nature of neighbourhoods and the nature of Americans and the disparate nature of you know, not necessarily racism but the idea of people not feeling uh, a connection with fellow Americans and you're going pre-9-11 with this as well I am, so, I'm going yeah. late 90s with this yeah. 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 Um, and that reflects real life because from the late 70s to Early 2000s, Roald Dahl, it's been Republican. It's all been very... This is If he's going to be the first Democratic kind of guy, there's a bit of like a pushback sort of thing. And we want that kind of... And this is, still, I think, uh, still Clinton-era stuff. So people are still experiencing, you know, personal... Anyway, so the senator also gets a wake-up call actually going through the sort of poor streets with John as a you know, guide slash bodyguard sort of thing. So you get that sort of... Uh, compromise on both sides things like no you don't understand bad things like no but they can be better like some things are just very bad and so okay i'll just bring it up anyway then the villain then targets the senator specifically to supplant a far-right rival which would prompt a war that he would want a gang leader to sort of you know get involved so hunts down john mcclain leading to a big shootout at this point john then learns that the villain is actually the son of general esperanza now the reason i did this was because i wanted a, a, a bit of uh, symmetry between die hard one and die hard three is his direct sequel die hard two and die hard four would be his direct sequel Interesting. Okay. So then the cliche sort of cyclical nature amuses McLean and you know the center and him had a little you know uh, discussion about this is all about John's fault and John's kind of 
generation and all these people that you and your grudges and all these things are the reason the country kind of is the way or going the way it is because ultimately you can't let go of the past and you refuse to move on that kind of thing um anyway uh john and senator sort of disguise themselves to escape uh but you know they don't know where they are um and the gang leader's sort of death and failure is revealed that it's more interested in war profiteering than vengeance and so while it's sold like the idea that it's like oh well, you know you killed my father Esperanza, it's like no he's just like simon and hans gruber and everyone else you're out for personal gain you're not actually the ideological person you think you are so you know that sort of stuff comes through um then john eventually escorts the senator to police custody uh but then tools up goes back to the lower southie side to face the villain uh they have a bit of a showdown in terrible shape um, I also wanted in there a really strong Lucy Holly subplot that needs to be injected to give them actually an emotional core and, you know, uh, restore the relevance to the McLean family supports rather than just being, oh, and they're here. But again, didn't have time to fully develop and didn't really go into too much detail. But the idea being that focusing heavily on McLean, keeping it down to the sort of limited resources and outnumbered and outgunned kind of situation but also giving the discussion of all the underlying nature of what America is and this kind of American hero is this, or this every man hero, you know, like, you know, also the fact that the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, you start getting this idea of people being more prosperous because we're out, you know, but pre nine 11, we're outside of the sort of financial stuff of like the nineties being pretty sure everyone's actually doing okay. Um, and there's some disposable income and it's like, well, you know, the world you've come from, is not the world we're going to next, that kind of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I have two very petty uh, problems. Please fuck yourself. No, far away. Uh, I mean, I, I have other problems. Uh, oh. obviously, obviously, because we, we, didn't we, come, we didn't come to consensus. Um, <clears throat> yeah. But my petty uh, problems are uh, Bruce Willis escorts uh, African-American gentlemen through uh, Porn urban, urban uh, area while other people try to kill uh, him is 16 blocks true but uh, yeah and also you set it in rhode island rather than new hampshire which has the state motto of live free or die <laughs> <laughs> true but intentional <laughs> uh no that's fair 16 blocks is a very similar one um in that regard but i feel that 16 blocks is more of a diehard film than diehard four um but i would point out again i think it's also because 16 blocks is effectively a western Mm-hmm. it's just in a contemporary setting so that's the similar mm-hmm. thing but yeah that's fair so it's, it's my i'd say it's a fair mesh of olympus has fallen and uh well, that ilk and 16 blocks kind of thing yeah that's fair hey alec what you been up to well so i saw matt's story and i thought there's some stuff i like in here um but to me it wasn't really addressing what my problems with Die Hard 4 were i felt like as far as the things that i felt needed to be fixed mm-hmm the John McClane problem, um, some of the things of it feeling more grounded. It felt very talky and it felt very politicky. Mm. And I don't think that the first Die Hard is that. I don't think the first three are that necessarily. Fair. That only becomes a more overt thing in Die Hard 4. And it's one of the things that I don't like about Die Hard 4. So I didn't want to go down that route either. Um, <coughs> I also think that we're not necessarily, at least from the first film, supposed to assume that John McClane is necessarily a Republican. I think that we're not given enough. Oh no, it's never explicitly explained. He, and his he's character probably libertarian. to assume what his. Well, we're not. It would absolutely be libertarian. Yeah. I don't think we're given enough about him in the first film to know what his politics are, and I think that's kind of the point. Mm. Um, I think also, given that we assume he's from a working class background in 
you know, growing up in 70s, 80s America, he might quite possibly be a Democrat anyway for economic rather than social reasons. Sure. But that aside, um, my what I would want to do is kind of take the bare bones of that. So I like the idea of the premise of Senator has security person or, or would be would be politics figure mm. has security person is on tour of an area uh they are ambushed all of the people are killed and then one person is left tasked to rescue said senator and i would actually have them split up at this point i would have the senator go away yep. and we have a single member of that security detail left to rescue the senator in an enclosed locked off urban area i don't know how you would lock it off yet but it might be artificially as in a patrolled by gangs urban area batman begins person, making a yeah, small that this defense. person can't uh, escape out of I would potentially have that person be one of John McClane's children, but if not one of John McClane's children, then I would have it be an entirely unrelated uh, character we've never met before. Mm -hmm. I would introduce uh, John McClane in the role of Al, mm -hmm. so I would have them talking to this person over the radio. And I might find some kind of way to disguise that so that it's actually a big reveal that it's John McClane that they're talking to on the radio at the end of the film. Interesting. So we might okay. not even necessarily know that. Their voice might be distorted in such a way or whatever yeah. and have a mid-film reveal that it's actually John McClane. I'm, um, I'm not opposed to that. I think yeah. it'd be impossible to get past oh, advertising. Probably, <laughs> but, but, but as, far as, as far as yeah. fun goes... And what I would want to do with that is I would then want to have to put this person through the ringer, have this mm. person be way out of their depth here. Oh, yeah. Might even be their first day on the job. So they're in a kind of rookie situation. Training day kind yeah. of Yeah. And in terms of what then happens, I quite like the idea that in true diehard style, the whole, it's fronted as a gang-motivated thing. This idea that they have the gang has captured this person because they're in a poor inner city area mm. uh, that's gang run and they're like because of all the injustices and because of all of the terrible things that you have done in government and all of the problems that you have caused us but then actually have the twist be that this is outside corporation interests that have paid these gang members to hunt this person down because this person is putting forth a bill that has some impact on their business decisions sure. so there's actually a twist there or even something internal governmental like a rogue gov like rival political figure which is something that is diehardy mm. so then have it be that this person has to rescue has to rescue this person the only weakness i think there is with this story and perhaps the reason i think it has to be um a mclean is that there has to be some kind of personal element there it Mm, I think fair. the I have to rescue a senator is not the is not a massive draw unless it's I have to rescue a senator who is also happens to be my partner mm. and I happen to be their main security mm -hmm. detail. That's a bit. So you would need something like that, which might be where you have John McClane come in to get kidnapped. But yeah, that's essentially that's the route I would want to go down with it. I've just had a massive brainwave for your pitch. Okay, go for it. Uh, yeah, we have the security person be completely unrelated, but it's Senator Holly Gennaro. Oh. Okay, interesting. I actually like that. 
Um, they come to an agreement, listeners. <laughs> well, we're back. We're back. I like it. <laughs> or what about Senator? What's his daughter called? Lucy. McClay? Lucy. Yeah. Be far too young, I'm sure. Yeah. Depends on when you're setting it, I guess. Yeah. Mm, mm. Twenty forty-five. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll be dead by then. Someone turn us up. I found it quite interesting that both Matt and then Alec, going off of Matt's yeah. initial ideas, um, made made the kind of the villains gangs rather than terrorists even if they're like funded by other interests and stuff like that because mm. to me like there's a there's a very specific like difference there and to go mm. back to the whole thing like of you know die hard as tackling things like masculinity and and, and class as well because mm. i think it's very important that you have john McClane as this working class figure taking on these slightly bougie uh, <laughs> bad mm. guys yeah, that's, that's and i fair. think that's i fair. think if you have have it be other working class people it kind of changes the aesthetics of it i think there are ways that you could um play around with that though mm. i quite like the idea that when i say you know that, that they have literally infiltrated mm. so it's this idea that as our person is walking around they're thinking some of these gang members don't really seem like gang members mm. <laughs> they seem a bit too yeah this seems a bit th- there's like affectation here this feels mm. put on this feels like it is a bit more yeah that that, that could that could definitely and work. because there's then something in terms of layers of commentary mm-hmm. there this whole idea that similarly with with the esperanza mindset i i think it's the expectation that oh obviously this guy's a freedom fighter who believes in principles like no, he's the son of one who believes in principle, and he is just trying to make money. He's in the image of it. Well, it's like, um, it's he's not like he's more of a, uh, I suppose in a Pablo Escobar kind of way, unhinged, but also living this high life just because he fucking can. Right. Yeah. Rather yeah. than someone who's like a Che Guevara principled. Well, we, depending on what side of the belief you're on, sure. But um, yeah, that kind of uh, has a, a a political belief and opinion. It's like, no, I'm just here to make money, mate, and live the life and have a fucking private island. Fuck you. To come back to the Holly Gennaro idea for a second, I do like the idea if you go down that route that it specifically has to be one of McLean's kids mm. who is the protagonist. Because the idea then, A, then it kind of makes more sense even to then bring in John McLean on the radio because mm. it's like, here's the guy who's dealt with pretty <laughs> much this situation before. Mm. Um, but in terms of an emotional investment, because it's that thing of it's not just some senator, it's my mum. Mm. That's <laughs> a much more kind of affecting mm. thing that gives them a lot more drive to actually do something about it. So I do quite like that idea. And also it means we get Holly Gennaro back in it, which yeah. is something that was missing from... I agree, she's missing from almost... The yeah. one big problem <laughs> I have with Die Hard with Avengers is that there's no Holly. Yeah. Uh, I quite like... It, it makes for a quite, like, sort of... Uh, comedy setup of like uh not only has my mum been kidnapped but i've got to call my shitty dad to fix yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, who is annoyed at his what i would love is if she is his ex-wife at this point absolutely through the things that are going on we end up with some family reconciliation by the end of oh, the yeah, movie where it's yeah. like they've all drifted apart but they come back together at the end of the thing through the <laughs> united in their hatred of I don't know European <laughs> fashion houses posing as um, yeah. <laughs> posing as inner city gang members or whatever. Yeah, sounds interesting. Sounds much <laughs> better than Die Hard Four. All three of them sound much better than Die Hard Four. Thank Any God. Examination you want to do yet? 
you kind of did really? it you did it yourselves i feel and like didn't even get a chance i feel like we've had a bit of an amalgamation here that has maybe ended up in in what would be closer to our final pitch anyway. yeah we've taken a few elements from each other's pitches thrown some stuff in and holly genera was the glue that yeah yeah, three back yeah, together. yeah yeah makes yeah. it start to feel that's like the family reconciliation at the end yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah makes it start to feel like die hard again so i think with where we're at after this discussion we feel yeah. like we're moving closer towards a die-hard four that works for us than we hmm. did in our many hours of laboured Facebook chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, yeah, this is this is the thing that obviously uh, listeners won't either see or hear or, or be part of. We obviously have the discussions and things, but obviously th- when uh, previous seasons, when we were two separate teams... Previously on sequelizers. We would have uh, separate ways of doing things, and that's all well and good, but it's only two people sparring off and you make compromise. When it's three, it's a bit harder, etc., but most importantly, this right here, the conversations, the moment with Pins like furiously shaking his hands, like Holly Gennaro is the center. Mm-hmm. That is the arguably one of the best bits of sequelizers where you have that epiphany. You go, oh, oh, then that could work. And you see someone's like, mm, not sure, maybe. That there is is really the... It takes a fresh pair of eyes or ears or yeah. however you want to put it to be like, oh, that's the thing yeah. that that thing needs, yeah. Because that's just telling you, we came to this decision, it's fine. And we can say why we came to this decision. But being almost in the room, as it were, as, as a listener, as an audience member, you can see how we've come to that conclusion, how we got here. So, for example, if we just start and said, okay, there's a story about Holly uh, being a senator and then um, her daughter or son, and have to think of that. that'd be fine. But now you see the sort of three strands of where we've come from this and how we come to it together from different perspectives. And yeah, hopefully I haven't made like a weird focus group. We actually made a, a <laughs> core writing room style script on it. Feel, so, yeah. feel lucky, listeners, because you've just witnessed the magic of collaboration. Hashtag <laughs> blessed, motherfuckers. And it, it turns out the magic ingredient is Bonnie Bedalia. Yeah. Who would have thunk it, eh? Us. Yes. The sequelizers, that's mm. it. Now, if you want to hear more magic of creation moments, behind more magic the scenes, of collaboration, magic more of creation. <laughs> that was not the we call that we call that plowing. <laughs> if you want to hear more magic of collaboration moments, oh. then um, consider giving us some money because we got <laughs> Patreon. And uh, and again, people have been great with Patreon so far. So thank you once again, folks. Thank you for becoming patrons of the Sequelizers. And we hope you enjoy the extra content that we have been putting putting up. We hope you've enjoyed some of the extra features. We've had a lot of fun creating those. So hopefully you've enjoyed them as well. There's more to come. I can't stress enough. I said it before in previous episodes. I'm saying it again. I still feel bad for people who aren't patrons oh who are God. missing the outtakes because yeah. they're so stupid. The outtakes so, for yeah. this episode alone are worth uh, it. Oh, God, there's so many as well. I've yeah. just looked at the runtime. and that's <laughs> I, I, I recording I for am, four and a half hours. I <laughs> am not editing this one and I am very glad about that. <laughs> Jack Chambers. I think I am. Um, but yeah, you know, keep it coming, folks, because it makes a huge difference to us being able to do this, mm-hmm. uh, being able to carve out the time to sequelize and if you know if we get more patrons then we can carve out more time to do this to an even greater standard than we're doing it at the moment so cheers and you know tell tell your mum sister and your weird uncle kevin to give tell us your senator mum about <laughs> yeah. your, if you reconcile with your dad and then everything will be great and you'll all bond over sequelizers um and we should say like even if you can't afford to 
you know support us on patreon which we completely understand sure. like thank you so much for listening yep and like everything that you do to kind of spread the word and you know we love interacting with you guys on social media and stuff like that and you know uh yeah we're, we're trying to get this in as many people that yeah. In as many people as possible. <laughs> We're trying Tim, to get this as, as, as in make love to? <laughs> as many people's ears as possible. That oh. does not help. That does not help. Ear baby. He's not wrong, though. We are trying to get it in as many people yeah. as possible. Um, yeah. So, yeah. No, I, I know I am. <laughs> uh, we're, tr- we're trying to pump our sound right up to you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it's a real sight to behold. Watching Tim trying to feed somebody his iPhone <laughs> while Sequelizers <laughs> is playing, but my God, he does it! It's yeah. like he po- does it a podcasting lot. Podcasting foie gras, basically. Yeah. Tim is an artist. You've got to lube it up. Artiste. Right. Um, With um, flipping marmite. Like what do you use? No, I've always got lubricant. Garlic Jesus. mayo. Garlic mayo. Nice. Yeah. Um, you picked like the yeah, most viscous, <laughs> sticky, fucking salty, viscous. I realize that like, tar would be good. <laughs> What's that thing that begins with mm? Is it mayo? Matthew is it marmite? Garlic I'm marmite. Going with marmite. But yes, uh, anything you can do to spread the word, we really, really appreciate. Uh, and. Uh, yeah, you could spread your words in a review for us, perhaps, or a rating of some sort. Oh, yes, um, on the on the Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or there was a new one I saw advertised today. I don't remember the name of it. Ah, uh, God, there's a million yeah. fucking podcast apps. Again, Google Store is a good one as well. Yeah, Google Play. But yeah, leaving us positive reviews and rating the show that really helps us get the sequelizing gospel out there. It's all about so. those sweet, sweet algorithms, baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you could work those algorithms for us like a boss, that would be. Just tip top, folks. Work the algorithms like a boss was the uh, subtitle to Die Hard 4 before they <laughs> changed it. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, if you want to spread the word on social media, of course, we are sequelizers on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. Not Tumblr, not Bebo, not that weird Chinese one I mentioned the other day that's sort of like fine, but sure not fine. Are you sure you're not working for them? Because you keep bringing it up. <laughs> I keep forgetting the name of it. So <laughs> if I am, I'm doing a bad job, just like Bruce Willis does most hey. of the time. <laughs> And if you have longer thoughts, if you have any suggestions for the show, anything like that, you can always email us. Sequelizers at gmail.com is the place to send your complaints, questions, love notes, credit card numbers, mail bombs, all that good stuff. Whoa. Dick pics. Dick pics, etc., etc. So I'm going to mix this up a bit. Jack Chambers, where can people find you on the social medias, my friend? Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> I that's I don't think that's how social media works. But I've sure. never been to Sheffield, thank God. It's all right. I've been to Sheffield. Sheffield's nice. Yeah, it's, it's, right. like, it's where Craig Davies from. I don't trust it. It's <laughs> not. It's <laughs> Jack, what? tell people your social media. So J L W Chambers. It's my first three initials and my surname in full. Matthew, how do people follow you on railway systems? <laughs> Don't. Do they lead to Sheffield? Um, from Sheffield to Southampton, somewhere in the middle there. As as well as you know, Jack Lowell Willett Chambers. Um, <laughs> was that Greece? I don't actually know. Oh well, oh well. What is Jack's real name? Tell me, Jack. Tell me, Jack. Larrington Willenby. Close enough. Yeah, Larrington Willenby Chambers. Um, uh, I I could talk about industrialization and men's fashion all day, but I'm afraid work must. Intrude. So I can be found on most social media platforms as Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. 
and you can see the films and things I do in the web series, which uh, nominated for best action. So fuck you, Die Hard. Um, Better action than Die Hard. Quote. <laughs> unquote. Uh, maybe not Die Hard, but anyway. Um, uh, yeah. So you know, uh, more believable than Die Hard four or five. <laughs> that's fair. Um, yeah. So that's Cheese Mint. And if you want to read my reviews, you can go to theredrighthand.co.uk. Um, what was nominated, by the way, Matt? Super Kill. Ah, your live-action anime web series. Yeah, starring everybody but Alec. One Tim Matum Alec. And, uh, and vague appearances by one Mr. Jack Larrington Willoughby Chambers. Contractual for contractual reasons, I cannot be in Matt's live-action anime. He's already contracted for another live-action anime. Yeah, yeah, uh, which we all don't talk about. Starring Bruce Willis with Liam. Uh, That's why we're not talking in, about yeah. it. in Sheffield. Yep, and it sounds actually no, delightful. Sounds awful, yeah, that sounds great. Bruce, <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> Bruce Willis as Tetsuo and <laughs> oh Alec Plowman as Canada. Canada, <laughs> I'm also here. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, you can do that, and you can find me, and I'll talk to you, Alec. Where can people find you when they're not dying hard? Oh. Uh, well, Alec underscore Plowman on Twitter. Uh, my website, www.alecplowman.com, will give you information about who I am, what I do. I'm in a band with Mr. Chambers called Monster City. So if you like your rock hard and you your do metal the heavy, then it's www.monstercityband.com. And that's it. Mr. Timothy. <laughs> where can people find you on the internet and how you can find me uh twitter is the easiest place i am uh trivia underscore lad on there uh and then anything else that i do online i'll tend to shout about on there anyway so um whether it's being in a podcast with matt stogden or being in a web series directed by matt stogden or, or nightly fantasies yeah, head of Matt you Stockton. can you can <laughs> check out my Matt Stogden fan fiction <laughs> <laughs> blog. Yep. Uh, if you have your own Matt Stogden fan fiction, <laughs> fucking keep it to yourself. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the best way to get in contact with me. Um, and uh, with that, with that, that's season four done. We'll be back sooner than we were between the previous seasons. We promise we're not leaving it six months between seasons this time. Yeah, we've got some in-season stuff. We've got some in-between season content coming up. We've got Patreon-exclusive stuff coming up. Got naked calendar shoots. Naked calendar shoots, all that good stuff. More to keep you tidied t- over. Tasteful news. More Matt Stockton fan fiction than you can God shake a shamrock at. Damn fucking... And uh, one of those in inter-season episodes will probably be listener feedback. So, Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Feel free to email us your questions or tweet at us or whatever, and we'll gather them all together in a big sack and then burn them and make up our own questions. Yep. Uh, but it's who knows? Like, maybe yours will escape. Yeah. Why are you but for the most handsome podcasters ever? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, d- Mum. Mrs. Plowman. Back to Cousins um, is okay. Yeah, it's like... um. So what I would say is okay. No, no. (laughs) It's legal. What I would say, folks, is tell us what you liked. Tell us what you think is working. Tell us if there are things you want to see us doing differently. Let us know what you thought about the movies. Did we, were we sequelizing the right sequels? What changes would you have made to the films that we've covered? What did you think of our 
They can come up with their own fucking questions. Lid, I've just given them, just given them. You gave them like eight suggestions in a row. When we burn them all, the smoke turns black. You're the new sequelizer. It's like popes, but podcast. Podcast. I assume that's a thing. Anyway, if it exists, there's a podcast about it, and the pope exists. I think. Bye, Matthew. Can you confirm? Yeah, bye. There you go. Bye. See you in season five. And Love the you. Content Bye. stuff. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.